Here we are. Folks. Shehan Cameron Quinn. <laughs> G'day. G'day, mate. As your koala kanga danglers. <laughs> no, we, uh, that was my fault. I've probably been a bit too presumptive where I was like, right, I'm off work for a week. You're off work for a week. He's not doing anything. We'll get him on as well. <laughs> but um, Sean Cameron's gone back to work now. He's uh, on um, a non-aerostess. You couldn't say aerostess. What would he be? Cabin crew. Cabin crew on a flight. So he's um, back into work now. So he's not as available as I thought. Um, but we have, arranged, we have arranged it now. That'll be coming on later in the month. We'll um, hook up with Garen. So I've had to replace one. We've had to replace one Xi'an that trained in Hombu uh, and was close to Sosai with another Xi'an that trained in Hombu and was close to Sosai and close to me. So that's no mean feat to try, you know, to try and replace that sort of caliber. But um, we've got him. We've got the old man on. So my Xi'an, Xi'an Gary Bufton. So he's coming on the show today. So we're going to talk to him. He was in Hombu the year before Sean Cameron went out. So Gary went out to Hombu uh, and he stayed there for a year. They know each other. Done. So they train, or yeah. sorry, train together, well, I mean? No, they know of each other. Yeah. And then they, no, I know that, they, but I didn't know if they trained. Finally, okay. I, think they, I think they met when I brought Cameron over a couple of years ago. Gotcha, okay. So yeah, he was there then. So we're going to bring... Um, I mean, Sean Gary is 75 now, I think, about 75. Mm-hmm. So we're going to bring him on, talk to him about his time when he went to Japan. Because um, Gary's been, you know, talking to Gary. If you think of something the most random, right? Like, oh, yeah, I remember once I went on holidays and this uh, Indian showed us how to make a fire out of a turtle shell on the Solomon Islands. <laughs> something as ratty, Gary would be like, Oh, yeah, I remember when I was living in the Solomon Islands with the International Scouts back in <laughs> 72. Yeah, I, I was there. I remember I lived there for a couple of months. So, like, <laughs> he's pretty much done everything. Awesome. So, this, um, we've got him in the waiting room at the moment. Let's bring him in. Bring him in. Get All on right. with it. He's gone. <laughs> he's gone. I just need to Got him in? I can't see anything. Yeah, there you go. Ocean. Ocean, are you okay? Yeah, you can hear us. Good. Yeah. Okay, good. So we've just introduced you. So some people will will know Shian Gary Bufton, others won't. Shian Gary is my Shian. Um who's develop this into what it is you know <laughs> uh, uh, abandoned me in my time of need in my 20s and made me what i am today <laughs> yeah well so, how are you feeling shen i'm not gonna hold your hand all your life <laughs> you're your own man i've told you that you had to find your way and th- this he certainly did obviously 
<laughs> this is very true. I was thinking about this. Um, you know, you've seen the memes where people put pictures of lions up and wolves and stuff saying you can't, uh, you can't control this and you can't do that. So everyone that's tried to control me in my life, it doesn't work, like with organizations and stuff like that, it doesn't work. Um, but with, you know, Sean Gary, I started training directly under him when I was about 20, 21 um and he was very much uh, a father figure and a, a mentor um and yeah and, and there was never that there was never a tight rein it was a yeah you find your own way i'm here to help you i'll get advise you and guide you as much as i can but ultimately it's up to you what you do and where you go well, this is not the Shion Terry show. This is now the Shion Gary show. So I want to know. I'm <laughs> just kidding. Uh, Gary, should I call? I don't know. Shion, you're both Shions. I know. Shion Gary, how did you get started in Kyogushin? Uh, would that have oh. been in the UK or where were you at that time? Yes, it was It was in Britain. Mm -hmm. I, I'd known about karate since I was about 14, but. Never really into it. I was into rugby. Right. Um, a lot of my life was lived before I went into karate. In right. fact, nearly all my fighting was done <laughs> on the street. And I don't... I've never liked fighting, so I always get it over with quickly. <laughs> um, I graduated from college as a teacher in physical education and mm. geography. So basically, I'm a geography teacher. Once I had that underlined and confirmed... I got a job back in Cardiff and I had no rugby club to go to, no nothing. And I saw in the paper one night a, a small advert for karate and it was being run by somebody called Howard Collins. Oh, yes, I've heard of him. <laughs> I, I'd never heard of him. <laughs> I turned up in Cardiff with about 60, 65 other guys wow. in the, the old Corey Hall. And trained. I had shorts and a T-shirt. I was young. I was fit. Maybe I how was looking was for something. How old Pardon? was you, Shian? When you, how old was you when you started? 25. Uh, so I was, I was 25, 24. I, so I, I was, I was old. Yeah. But you were, you were fit then and healthy at that time. And it's a good age. Yeah, I, I played rugby to a good standard right. and I specialized in outdoor pursuits, climbing, mm -hmm. caving, canoeing, awesome camping walking everything so when you walked in that like dojo that, of uh howard collins you had no idea kyokushin or anything like well, that it, it was just it karate was a, right it wasn't a dojo as such it was just a rented room right 
And I was hooked straight away. I knew <laughs> that, that this was for me. And the expression I've used is like putting your hand into an old glove. Right, right. That's beautiful. Just it gave me goosebumps, um, actually. <laughs> what, what was it about it that made that feel that way? Do you know? Like, could you place what it was? Yeah, I've tried to put my finger on it. And it certainly wasn't the fighting. It certainly mm. wasn't to look after myself. I was maybe looking for something on the religious side. Right. Okay. Um, sense of like a sense of belonging. I, I was. I wasn't fulfilled. Right. Right. Mm. And rug, rugby, I'm afraid, wasn't doing it at the time. You in Wales, there was beer, there was women, and there was rugby, <laughs> and. It doesn't matter what order you take those. You can't do that all your life. <laughs> um, no. So I also, I was, I wanted to express myself as an individual. I'm a team player. And I used to play number eight or flanker. And invariably, I would break up fights mm -hmm. on the pitch. Mm -hmm. um, so, so what after so you? So after you trained for a while, so you were training here for a few years first, um, and then you were getting into it, and you were finding your place. When did you decide then that you were going to go to Japan and train at Hombu? Well. My, after my first session, I knew this was for me. I managed to get hold of an old judo suit. <laughs> with the jacket was padded, the trousers come halfway up my shin. <laughs> and at least I, I didn't stand out. I, I wanted to just be an ordinary guy in the line. Mm -hmm. Um. I went through the grades, the lower grades, very quickly. Um, what were the I grades was, then? Do, do you remember the grades then? That's, because the grades have yeah, changed yeah, over the my, years a little bit. My first grade was I jumped a grade almost every time. Mm -hmm. um, my first fight I had was with someone called Alwyn Heath who's still yeah. in Kyokushin. And I remember punching him. He lifted his knee and I punched his knee <laughs> and my fist wasn't properly closed. So I had a very sore hand. <laughs> Lesson learned. <laughs> so Shen, um, Shen Alwyn is still training today in Wales. He's with uh, Shin Kyokushin. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, we became friends and adversaries over the years. <laughs> um, time I went, I wanted to go to Japan. That was 1973, I think. When you went out. So you would have started. I went out in, so you would have started. I went out in, 
in 74, I had to get some money together. I was a poor teacher and mm. I was earning £64 a month. <laughs> so how long um, had you been training before you thought, I'm going to Japan? So when did, how long had you been training? How many years were you in the dojo before you decided that I want to go to Japan? A year. That's One it. year. Wow. One year. Awesome. I... I started uh, going to the car showrooms and I was buying and selling cars <laughs> to get enough money to go to Japan. So I, I had a little pot of money. Um, but I only had enough money to buy a one-way ticket <laughs> because I knew it was going to be tough. And... I didn't didn't want to jump on a plane back. <laughs> That's not me. So what happened? I passed some grades, then went on summer camp to Holland in '74. So would that have been at Papa with, with Luke Hollander? Uh. Um, I saw Howard there. And a, a couple of the faces that I knew, Lee Costa, Alwyn Heath. And we met Nakamura and Oyama, who had come over from America. Mm. They were taking the camp with uh, Antonio Pinero. Mm. Yeah. And Druniak from Poland. Sorry, I'm, I'm just trying to recall these names. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Big names, man. Yeah. Um, I was a yellow belt on the camp, and I, I got my green belt. I took a grading. That was... I just started to go faster. Mm. There was something in the atmosphere the spirit, I just mm. got faster and faster. And I didn't think that was possible. Mm. Um, I bought a one, I sold my sports car. I had a little shed of a sports car, an MGB GT. I finished with my girlfriend. Sold the car. Told my mum what I was doing. And I wanted the knowledge quickly because of my age. Mm. You know, I wasn't 17 or 18. Yeah, I was 25. So I thought, right, we'll try and bypass this. Smart. And so I packed my rucksack, put blazer on and tie and collar, had a uh, briefcase with me in a sports bag and off, landed it. Off it went. Yeah, landed at Haneda Airport. And at the time in, in Japan, everything was, it was like being deaf, dumb and blind. I couldn't read anything because there were no bilingual languages. I could count in Japanese and no parts of my body. 
<laughs> and yeah, I, co- I couldn't speak. You couldn't read. Everything was such a shock. Foreign. <laughs> Completely foreign. Anyway, the, I, I was in downtown Tokyo, 10 o'clock at night. And little did I know that at that time, that was it. Everything closes at 10. And um, I was stopped by two policemen that were armed. And they tried to practice their English on me and just rested their hands on the holster. Jesus. (laughs) And... I didn't know what I, I couldn't express myself. I couldn't explain myself. But just before I left, my father tucked a name and address in my top pocket. He said, this is a doctor friend of mine. His son is studying in Tokyo. And he just plopped it in my top pocket. I didn't look at it. Well, it's the first thing I grabbed when the police got hold of me. And they put me in the car and took me to this address, <laughs> which took, was about an hour across Tokyo, which was amazing. And then it was, it was the height of summer in August, and we were drenched, Mm. just sweating, because Tokyo is on a latitude with Barcelona. People don't realize that it's it's a little bit different. Yeah, it's very humid, I hear. Very very humid out there, very close and sticky. Anyway, this, this chap, David, said that he was my friend. He could speak Japanese. In fact, he graduated from Exeter University in languages, in modern languages. Mm. So he could speak French, Spanish, Italian, and he was learning Japanese there. Not only to speak it, but to read and write it because he was becoming an interpreter. At that time, Japan was booming and everybody wanted to be do business with Japan. Mm-hmm. So, this chap, David, saved me. Um, I don't know, don't know what to say, really, because he, I went to the, I told him what I was there for, and I went to the dojo. He had to show me the, the route to get to Ikebukuro. And we were in Shinjuku. Mm. And when I got to the dojo, they turned me away. <laughs> so I came, I came back. I couldn't stay in David's more than a week. He went out and he found me an apartment and bought me a Jidensha, a bike. Mm. A second World War II bike, 
which no no one could ride because the seat was so high and the handlebars, <laughs> and it was it was good. So I could get around the place. So I had my little tatami room, which was rented. I went to the dojo a second time. They turned me away. On the third time, they let me in. And that was an experience. Yeah, what was that like the first time going in there? Well, I made mistakes, as mm. you do. Mm. I, it wasn't arrogance, but I'd earned my green belt. And I should have put a white belt on. Mm. Um, there was someone called Takeshi Azuma was taking the class. And there were other black belts that were working out. But the, there was about 60, 65 people in the upper dojo. So I was near the front because they were nearly all white belts. And they could all kick Jordan Washi better than me. <laughs> we trained for two hours. And I was absolutely on my out on my feet because it was the height of summer and this was a Thursday afternoon. I'm sure no air conditioning. And then it was time for committee. So they called me up and they called a brown belt up and he looked, he looked sharp. And looking at his belt, it was well-worn and faded. Well, he had, he had trouble catching me. I was just being defensive. And he rushed at me, hit me in the jaw with his right hand. My head turned, my back hit the wall. The left leg came up and caught me. I spat my, the enamel of my front teeth out. Oh, wow. This was a fight. Wow. And something inside me changed. He tried to headbutt me. I had my hands round his head and into his hair to stop him from doing any more damage. Him. And um, his name was Yamada. And I bumped into him in 2003. <laughs> and he was shocked because he was head of all the officials in Kyokushin. And I'd heard that not long after the fight, he was out training, ran round a corner and was hit by a truck and broke his left leg. It must have been a nasty break because he never appeared. I'd, ne I'd never seen him until 2003. Wow. Anyway, they, they separated us. I didn't sit down. They called me up. And then Azuma 
got up. Well, I tried to punch him and I may as well have punched a wall. <laughs> he had muscles in his eyelids. <laughs> um, <laughs> he hit me a few times. I wasn't getting anywhere with him. Um, he couldn't put me down. And so he, he was, he indirectly, he had a loss of face. I, I've gone through this in my mind lots of times. And when we broke up and then it was, as you may come together, he jumped at me with Toby Kansetsugeri. Oh and as I know, Kansetsugeri is an illegal technique. But this was a Toby Kansetsugeri. It hit my front knee. My, I knew my, my cruciate ligaments had gone. And I went down. I couldn't move so much. I got back up. He hit me again, Ushirugeri. I took over two lines of people that were kneeling down on the side. I went over those two and hit the, hit the wall, slid down the wall, got back up. He swept me. I got back up. He knocked me down again. And um, when that was finished, there was another black belt. And this was Daigo Oishi. Yes. And this chap has the fastest Moachi Gerries I've ever seen. Any left, right leg. He was like, he, I call him windscreen wiper legs. <laughs> I, I fought with my, my hands up all the time, taking kicks to my body, my legs. He never knocked me down, mainly because he couldn't get me out of the corner. <laughs> um, so, Shia, talking about you're talking about the sparring there in Hombu, uh, and you said the guy punched you in the face, and then he was trying to headbutt you. Was that kind of the general sparring at Hombu? Then you were allowed to punch to the face. <laughs> I took it personally. They thought I was American. The, it was like, remember Iwo Jima or yes. Pearl Harbor? Yeah, they were and taking they were their revenge on you. That attitude that wanted to kill. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Um, anyway, that, that, was the, that was the end of it. We did a warm down. And I, I just stood there. We did a warm down, went downstairs, and that's when I made my second mistake. I got changed and went into the shower first. <laughs> there was so little hot water that the instructors went in first. Azuma came in behind me, and he was quite well educated I think he started to practice his English on me so he said uh, where are you where are you from so I said Wales 
and he looked and he frowned and he said, American? I went, no. Ingerusugin. Englishman. I went, no. Well, <laughs> could be. So I, I, I tried to explain. And that's when Tom Jones saved my life. Oh, wow. Tom Jones, I said, do you know Tom Jones? And he looked at me in front and he went, Thomas Jones, very strong man. Little did I know the, the Japanese use the word strength, which implies more than your physical power. Right. It, because he was so popular out there, with not only with the women, but in his macho appeal, the men liked him. And he was born in the same village. I said I was born in the same village as Tom Jones. <laughs> Azuma took me under his wing and no one, no one was allowed to beat me up except Azuma. <laughs> at, at, and, when did you meet Sosai? Ah, this, this, this was another thing. When I went there, first of all, uh, they first let me in. There was a, a very short American chap, um, mixed race. And I had a letter of introduction from Howard. And the chap said, you know, what are you, what are you doing here? And I said, I've got this letter for Kancho Oyama. He said, I'll take it to him. It, ne it never arrived. So, Sosai, as he was called now, never knew I was there till one day he turned up in the dojo. But can I say, when I was in the shower with Azuma, Azuma asked me, he said, why didn't you stay down when you were knocked down? And I said, I didn't know I had to stay down. <laughs> you, you are worth the brown belt. That was his backhanded compliment to me. Wow. And I knew straight away that the answer to everything in the Hongu was sweat because that's that. what you did. Yeah, I love that. Um, it's kind of like that's the only thing that's respected. Sorry, Terry. It's like that. That's the only thing that is respected. Sweat. Yes. Also, the fact that I, it was already in me. I wasn't going to give up. Um, I went back to David's house. I showed him my swollen knee. He said, have you got insurance? And I said, no. So he put me on the back of his bike and took me to buy some insurance before he took me to hospital. <laughs> Smart. So 
it was two weeks before I could walk again. And I turned up at the dojo and I had a bandage on and I couldn't kick. I explained to Azuma, they thought I'd gone home. There were no other foreigners there. There was no room as an Uchideshi. So I just persevered throughout the winter. I managed to get the highest attendance in of all the students. Mm. So I learned by watching. So it was it was good in a way that my, my knee was bandaged because they couldn't do any more damage. Couldn't beat you up anymore. And also everybody was afraid of Azuma. Right. He was he was the dog's bollocks without a, a shadow of doubt. <laughs> So was I'm was Azuma emotional? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you relive it. You reliving it all. Was uh, so Azuma was teaching in Hombu. Uh, Oishi was teaching in Hombu. Was Hasegawa there at that time? Because he was like no. the, one of the main senpais. He wasn't there. No. Not that. Not that I recall. There was. I think. The second or third time I went to the dojo, Sosai came in, saw me, and he went along the line and he said, you fight in the old Japan Open. And I just went, oh, I should have pulled my trouser leg up and showed him the bandage. But I, I was just so in awe of this man. He's one of the few men that I would respect in this world. So what was it about him? Like when you met him like that, like, could, you know, people his talk eyes. About his eyes. Okay. What was it they about his deep, eyes? They were dark and they were, they were mysterious. There was, mm. there was something about him. Hmm. Um, I wanted knowledge, but they wanted sweat. Wow. Oh, my God. I love that. I got to write that down. So <laughs> it, was a, it was a bit of a trade-off. I started to learn to speak Japanese because I had to feed myself. I was running out of money quickly. So I got a job teaching English as a second language. Oh, cool. Well, fortunately, I was a qualified teacher. Most Americans that do it, they weren't, they weren't qualified, but they were still getting top dollar for what they were doing. So I managed to get, I think, three or four hours a week teaching with a company. And that, I could live on that. I wasn't there to earn money. I was there to to Sweat learn karate. <laughs> I I came as a a disciple, if you like. Right. I was a pilgrim. Interesting and, choice of word. Yeah. It must have been incredibly overwhelming. A disciple. 
Um, I'm I'm trying to think what, what else happened. I bumped into a guy who was from Southeast Asia, and his name was Joe Chin Tuk Ching. Unfortunately, he died back in the 90s, but he was a third dan from Penang. And he was he was there training, but not the level of training that I was doing. And he, he could speak English. And also he knew where other Southeast Asians went to school and they were there learning Japanese and business studies and they they had a, a refectory, a cafeteria if you like. And once my head was short and I, I smiled a lot, my eyes went small, it looked as if I was half Japanese, <laughs> but it got me food. I was... I was hungry all the time. And someone said to me once, well, what was it like? And I said, if it moved, I said us. If it didn't, I ate it. <laughs> Simple life. And, you know where you are. And, and that was that was it. I became much leaner, faster. I realized as well that they, these top fighters weren't just training in the dojo. They were training elsewhere. Right. So I was doing my own runs when I wasn't at the dojo. I was doing 500 push-ups a day in the morning before breakfast. I do sets of 50. So my calluses came on my hand. Um, well, you, you told me you did your shodan on the saw side, didn't you? Sorry? You did your shodan, your black belt, you had from saw in Hombu. Yeah. So what, what did you grade for that? What, what was the grading like? Yeah, was there a test? There was uh, quite, a, quite a lot happened in between, Terry, because I turned up at the end of 1975. I turned up at the dojo one day, and there was no class. But I was told to get changed and go upstairs to the dojo. So I was there. And, excuse me, let me just, just refer. There was another instructor I'd become friendly with. His name was Takumi, Higashidani Takumi. And I believe he's in Denmark now teaching. He was younger than me and he'd been in Uchideshi and he'd run away from the dojo. And when he came back, they broke his nose for running away. And he ran away a second time. Then he came back, they broke his nose again. But this guy, 
because Bruce Lee was out at this time. This chap, Higashidani Takumi, was better than Bruce Lee with Nunchaku. He was he was awesome. And that's, you know, that's it's difficult to say, but it's true. He, I think he came 10th in the All Japan Tournament. Anyway, he was there. And so, so I took me through all the cutters, everything. It was just me in the dojo with Takumi. And Takumi and I had become very close. And then, so, so I said, now Kumite. And that was, that was awesome. Um, Who won the Kumite? He, sorry, Terry. Go on. So, so with Takumi. So you and Takumi had the fight in the dojo yeah. in front of Sosai. Yeah, with fight with Takumi. So I was just like taking it easy, not going in. And he did a Toby Shiramuashi on me. But as soon as I saw it coming, I'd been training with brown belts on a Sunday at, at Matsuyama's special classes on a Sunday. And all we did for two hours was Ura technique. Well, when I saw this Ushira Mwashi Geri coming, I did the same thing. But I followed up with Shto. Both our kicks missed each other because we were doing the same technique. But my hand came across the back of his head, his neck, and I hit him. And we clashed and we grappled. And I grabbed the back of his gi and I ripped it right up to the neck. That was about the third gi I ripped. I think it was it was fear. We 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 stopped Hajime come together again. And he just attacked me with Aguchi five, six times. I blocked, 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 blocked. Bang! He hit my nose. I couldn't... It was so damaged, I couldn't see out of my left eye. And I had difficulty breathing. So... He, he stopped once he'd hit me. I went down into Cesar because I didn't know what to do and I just sat in Cesar. So, so I came across to me, put his thumbs on my nose and put my nose back in. Well, the blood just gushed in an inverted V and pooled on my on my gi. So I stood up and he said, fight all. And I went, us. Wow. And he stopped the fight. Um, 
they took me to hospital immediately and they injected my forehead, forceps up my nose, pulled my nose straight, taped me up because I, I had to go back to Britain. So this was a farewell present. Jesus. So I, I've got a photograph of it somewhere. Maybe I'll, I'll find it. If you send it to me and then we can edit, because we'll edit this tomorrow, we can edit it in then. Yeah, I'd love to, actually. So, so, back, you, so you did that train. So was that your was that your showdown grading then? What, what, what happened on your grading? That, that was the grading. That was the grading, was it? Yeah, I did, I did everything. All was, the cutters, all the techniques. And for and the... Yep. Just just the one the one fight. And, and was that common for fighting at that time? Like you said you were grappling a bit and you were obviously you got punched in the face. Was that the norm for fighting or is it just because of the test? Yes. Yes, especially the most dangerous people in the dojo were brown belts. Right. They'd come so far and trained so hard for so long and was so close. Nothing was going to stop in their way. And right. I felt the same way. Hmm. I just never knew. I had to come back to Britain because um, of family circumstances, mm -hmm. which if you, if you want me to tell you about, then I don't mind. That's whatever you want to share. It's up to you. Go on. Well, going back six or seven months, by now, I, I couldn't afford to pay the fees for the dojo. Mm. And so I realized that maybe I had more than two brain cells. <laughs> and he, he said, would I be his international secretary. Oh, wow. So I had a desk outside his office and people would write from all over the world in Italian, in Greek, every language. And I would try to get these interpreted and try and answer because they all wanted, basically they wanted something for free. And at the time, the international, he wanted an international karate magazine. Mm -hmm. And I had to collate all the information for this. So I was the first unofficial editor before it ever went to print. Wow, that's so cool. Um, he was a, a very busy man because he was organizing the first world tournament, which happened in November 75. And he would call me into the office and say, Gary, what do you, he could speak English when he wanted to. <laughs> what is your opinion of this? And there were businessmen in there who were scraping and fawning. 
and they had a sports bag. And he said, what do you think of the design? So I pulled it to pieces and said, look, this isn't going to work for in the Western world. Guys were coming to the dojo with their doggies rolled up in a, a bundle and their belts tied around and it was slung over their shoulder. That was it. But I said, the Western man wants soap, shampoo, change of clothes, uh-huh. a compartment to put his wet key into. He's got a towel. Right. How did they take that feedback? And so sorry. Listen to me. And this went on with a variety of products. <laughs> and uh, it, it was, so I was, I had to be careful, you know, what I said, because he would do it. And one of the things that I'm quite proud of, he showed me a poster one day for the world tournament. And he asked me, what do you think? And it was a caricature of him in from a manga magazine, punching as a young man. And there were various words around it. But I said, you should have across the top, karate fans, you must not miss the first World Open Karate Tournament in Tokyo. And those are the words he used. <laughs> and I've got a poster somewhere, but he used it on the front of magazines. And they must be worth something, you um, What else did he... So in, in the run up in the run up to the first world tournament, so you were there uh, a year before the yes. first world tournament. So you were you remember you tell me you were helping with the organising of it. Well, I was I was training with the, the Japanese squad, and so that that would have been Sato as well. Yeah, that, that's that's another another story. There was not long after. I'd been in Japan. I was invited by Azuma to a Korean restaurant. And I found this place and went upstairs and they'd, everybody who was anybody in Kyokushin was around this table. And I came in and I was the lowest of the low and I knew my place, I kept my head low and sat next to Azuma. And there was a chap who was my height, but bigger. And I, I didn't know it was Sato, but he seemed to be the host. And not long after we were there, they'd ordered food for me, which was tripe. Now, tripe is the stomach of a cow, but I ate it anyway because it wasn't moving on my plate. (laughs) And 
Azuma picked up a, a gallon whiskey. No, it would have been whiskey, but it was sake. A big bottle. And he went, walked around the table, pouring sake out into plastic cups. And he was opposite me. And he said, he just grunted. Mm. And I held my cup up. And with that, Azuma put his hand under my left elbow and pushed my left arm up. Because he was a senior, he had to see both my hands on the cup. Oh, wow. Not one, but two. He filled this plastic beaker and I put, went to put it down. Azuma gave me a nudge, drink. So I had a drink and I went to put it and said, no, finish. So I drank this and I went to put it down and he pushed my arm up again because Sato was still there with the bottle. <laughs> he repeated that seven times. I drank seven on the head. And they casually put it down. I, the Sato gave up, which was good, but I was in no condition afterwards. <laughs> I bet. I had to ride my bike home. Oh, Jesus. And that was, uh, I was stopped by a policeman for scratching cars with the <laughs> handlebars of the bike. Um, did, you, did you train with Sato much in Hombu? Yeah, he took classes. He was, he was, Sato and Azuma were, were very close. And in the world tournament, any of those top six fighters could have been a champion. Hmm. Um, yeah, I was, I was in the dojo one day downstairs and there was this huge bag hanging up. And when I first kicked it, I couldn't even move it. But... Azuma was the low kick king and he was my instructor. So I learned to low kick. And that was probably my legacy to Britain is that I brought that back to Britain, that technique. But people can't do it so easily. Anyway, I was, I was kicking this big bag. And someone came rushing in and saying, Gary, you wanted upstairs. Well, I had sweat gear on. And I went upstairs. And there was Sato with sweat gear on. I mean, he, it was running off him like a river. And there were a couple of guys sat down in the corner. They were his sparring partners. And he totaled them. There were cameras there from NHK Channel 8. Of course, I was there. 
but it was mostly Cameroon. They were doing a feature on, on Saturday before the World Tournament. Um, they put a helmet on me and focus mitts. And I thought, oh, he's just going to do a bit of sparring. Well, it wasn't. It was a full-on fight because they wanted to show what he was like against a foreigner. Mm -hmm. Well, we fought. I couldn't punch him back. I could only push. Not only was he big and powerful, he didn't put me down. I wasn't going to go down. I just absorbed everything, and I couldn't really hurt him, only with kicks. But his timing was perfect. His left leg, Moashigeri, hit me under the chin and took my helmet off with the Velcro still done up underneath the chin. But he, he, didn't, he didn't put me down. Well. Getting emotional again now. Yeah, I bet. Reliving it. <laughs> I wonder if there's footage of that. I would love that. Well, sorry, it, Scott. I wonder if that footage still exists from the NHK. Yeah, I'd imagine it, was, it does. I, I, I did. I did so many things there that was. I've got footage though. I've got footage of you training with um, Sato. There was a video done. Uh, I've shared it in the Ronin group a while ago. Um, it's just a quick glimpse. It's a quick yeah. glimpse of training. Uh, and there's a pile of Japanese instructors, Sosai is at the front. You've got Oishi, Azuma, Sato is there. And then in between all the Japanese high grades is Gary. And he's just stood there training. They were doing uh, Ibuki, Sanshin. They were training a bit. There's a quick snap footage of it. And then it goes to uh, Sato is in the middle. And everyone has got the big sticks, the two by fours, and they're breaking two by fours over oh, him right. and he kicks them and takes them down. Gary's one of the people hitting him with a stick and then gets gets kicked and knocked down. Mm -hmm. So we'll post that um yeah. in, in the group afterwards yeah. in the in the, the, the bio. I wouldn't mind putting some scenes in here too. Yeah, I, I well, like to well actually we'll stick it you. We'll yeah. stick it you now then. Yeah, as he's streaking all <laughs> <laughs> You, you remember me sending that to you? Sorry, remember the... Do you do you remember me sending that, that footage to you? Yeah. With Sato? Yeah, there, there was... Azuma was going to play uh, Sosai. Mm -hmm. He was going to play Sosai in a film. Ah, and we we had to. It, it eventually turned out to be somebody else, and it was Warrior in the Wind, I think. But yeah, it, yeah. it was originally going to be Azuma. Oh wow! And we we had to break stuff over Azuma. I remember breaking tiles over Sato's head for television. <laughs> we did so much promotional work there. That, and I, I always needed a little bit of money. And 
I was paid $5 a day by a company to be a nasty in the background of, <laughs> of some Japanese. Uh, so I just sent you a picture. Movies. That's so cool, though. Where did you send it, Terry? I sent it to your... It was, um, it, it was, it was weird. Where we normally communicate on. One of those bleeding... What, it grinder? No, not grinder. What is there? <laughs> grinder. So I've just... I've, Jeff, I've just sent Scott uh, a picture, Shian, of what we were just talking about, of you in the line with Source at the front. Have you got it? It's on, uh, not Anchor. What are we on? The other bleeding thing. I'll, I'm going to share it right now so you can see it. Yeah. There. You remember that picture? Yeah. So, so you were next to Sato. So you, you were, you were from, yes. from right to left, yeah. you were second there. He's big, man. Yeah, guys, so Shan is not, wasn't a small guy. Yeah, Shan, He's you were a very big, big guy. Look at that. It's cool. So, yeah, and that, I came across that. I was, um, you know, I search for Kyokushin stuff all the time and you would troll through loads of videos and you're, and you're watching stuff and it comes up and it was like doom, doom, all the Japanese right in and so, and then you're like, oh, look, that's Gary, look, 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 <laughs> report it, screenshot it, send it back. That's really cool though. Just, ra it's just randomly. Awesome, awesome uh, image. I, ne I never, had never seen I'd it. I've never seen it before until Terry found it. It's amazing, amazing. Shihan, when, um, when you came, I, I want to jump ahead a bit. When you went, went back home, did you go back with the idea, now I'm going to go back and teach karate? It was, if, if I can take a step back, Scott, a minute, yes. and tell you that it was in April 75. I was working in the office, and I took a call from my brother-in-law, and he said, You've got to come home. Your mother's been involved in a traffic accident. Oh, no. Uh, she was a passenger in a car that was hit by a bus. Oh. And she was on a life support machine. So I said, okay, I had no money. I just had enough to, to pay my rent, my water, um, my monthly train tickets and I went in into Cantrell's office I explained to him the situation he didn't say a word he just picked up the telephone mushy mushy he said you wait here and in half an hour, there was a, a ticket to Heathrow from oh. Tokyo wow. on Japan Airlines. Jesus, I just got goosebumps again. Wow. <laughs> so I, I came back. I was back a month. Uh, my mother's machine was switched off because... She wasn't going to make it. Magic. 
Um, I, I, I didn't have anything to wear for the funeral. And I remember my sister and brother-in-law buying me a suit. I was, I was gaunt, I was lean. And nothing really fettered me. Anyway, I, my father paid for me to go back a month later. And I went into the office to see Sosai. And I said, I want to pay you back. He didn't say anything. And out of the blue, I landed the most expensive job for a teacher in Japan. It was working for Time Life. <coughs> Time Life magazine. Wow. I think they, they've been... They, were, they wanted to fly me from Tokyo up to Sendai, which was... That's up north, right? Uh, 400 kilometers north, yeah. near... Near the, although it was inland, near the, it was near Fukushima where the, mm. the nuclear yeah. power disaster happened. <clears throat> and I was to teach four Mitsubishi businessmen <laughs> English. Whoa. And that was it. It was just two hours. And now I worked out, they just gave me the money. I would catch the overnight train on a Friday night, a sleeper, up to Sendai, teach these four businessmen, stay in a, a pod hotel, which was new at the time. Um, the, and these four guys... Everything was paid for on a credit card. It was company policy. Mm -hmm. So they'd have two hours of structured lessons. And then they would invite me out for a meal, which I couldn't afford. I couldn't afford sushi and sushi meat. So they say, what do you like? And they take me to this restaurant and they get another two hours of casual English conversation. <laughs> and you get a meal. And that, that's, that was a story in itself. They yeah. were fabulous. So really, I pocketed the, the difference. I, I, although I was paid for two hours, my expenses were paid massive. Well. Yeah. Mm. And I, I went into... Kancho to Sosai and I gave him the money and he made a note because I couldn't pay it off in one go. It had to be done over a period of time. And he said, why do you want to pay me back? And I learned a bit of Japanese and I said, Giri. Do you know what giri means? Mm -mm. Giri Honor. is obligation. Obligation. Mm. Mm. I didn't want to be owing or obliged to him. Right. It was just me. 
I, I didn't want that. Because he confessed then, he wanted to send me out to Brazil. Terry, who, who's in Brazil again? Isobe. No, Isobe. it is Isobe. Who, who was in charge of Isobe. South America? Then? Um, oh, in South America? Yeah, she... Um, I don't know. I, I only know Isobe in Brazil. Well, his name's on the tip of my tongue. I, Isobe. 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 He wanted yeah. to send me there, and I said, I'm sorry, I've got to go home because I had to sort out my mother's house and will and everything that went with that. My sister wanted me to buy, I'd inherited half a house, and my sister wanted me to buy her half of the house out so she could get on. She was married. And therefore, to get the money for that, I had to get a mortgage. And to get a mortgage, I had to get a job. And that's how I ended up lecturing in Crosskeys College. Ah, you were with head of sports, years. wasn't you? Head of sports. So, sorry? You were head of sports, wasn't you? Eventually. It didn't, it didn't happen straight away. I was just a young teacher, and they, this was the first tertiary college in Wales. They were restructuring the educational program. When did you start teaching karate? And why? I, 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 Howard Collins was still in Wales, and he had a, a little church hall of a dojo. But when I turned up there, there were four black belts and nobody else. And <laughs> I was offered a contract to teach in Sweden. Well, I couldn't do that because of the mortgage with the house. So it turns round that Howard took this option up, which was a backhanded compliment to me because they asked me first before my instructor. <laughs> right. And I've got a lot of respect for Howard. He, I, I learned a lot from him, but just by watching. Mm -hmm. And um, what happened then? I, I partnered up with Lee Kofster and we put all our resources into the first full-time dojo in Britain, wow. in Cardiff. Wow. Cardiff we School partners, of Self-Defense. We, we were partners for five years. Very cool. And we were running, it was running full time, but I was teaching in college. When, when you were so teaching... I could only teach in the evenings and on the weekends. Right. <clears throat> but that became my life for the next 
25, 30 years. And when you were teaching back then, were you, was there like a syllabus or anything like, like at different grades? Did you have different things that you taught or was it just whatever that day was on the menu? No, I, I structured the classes into separated juniors and seniors for a start. Okay. I took the juniors because I knew what I was doing as a teacher. Mm -hmm. And I was applying Japanese methods to this. And it was Saturday morning for a couple of hours. And the classes were structured until I had a a high grades class, a middle grades class, and a novice class. And that happened to seniors as well. Um, We were fairly near Cardiff University. So I would pick up some students Mm. from there. Um, Also, other instructors were coming to us from Newport, Barry, Abercunnan, Cumbran. And it, it was an exciting time. I bet. But knockdown karate was just taking off in Britain. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had to wind my neck in a bit and use clicker techniques. So I had to learn to be. Um, respectful of that mm. it, so, it, so in Britain oh yeah, so Scots IFK so in Britain I'm we, familiar we with had the, yeah. sorry we had the, Terry the, I'm so going in, in Britain, we, you know that uh, it's not so you Britain, Terry's mic is the, terrible is nothing wrong with my mic my mic muffled is it's, on. it's very muffled why is it muffled the key I was doing <laughs> it be, does it sound muffled does it it always sounds this way so I try to tell you I don't. Well, I listen to myself back. It sounds perfect. Because you only listen to yourself. <laughs> what do you want to say, Jane? Sorry, who else is in this show? I forgot. Now Scott messed it up. Don't bother. He, this is another thing too. <laughs> he does it every clicker, show? She had. Clicker, every show. You were talking about clicker. You wanted to explain <laughs> clicker to the audience. Every show, he interrupts my flow, and it's gone. Um, in Britain, there was no knockdown. There was no knockdown in Britain. There was only point scoring. Wuko style karate, right? And then yeah, they introduced the, the first 76, uh, 76, 76 was the first knockdown. No, I, I just come back into Britain on the end of December 75. Um, I lived with my father for a month to try and reassess where I was going from here. And it was um, a bit. It was a bit awkward, mm. but uh, I had to settle in, and I didn't fight in that tournament in '76. So I was in the country, but I, I didn't fight. My it was like when I went back to Japan after my mother's funeral. I didn't want to train. There was a void. Interesting. And I was in the dojo. And as I walked out, outside the dojo, there was a group talking. And I was introduced to Yamazaki. 
Now, Yamazaki was one of the few people that was sent to Thailand. And he brought back, along with others, this low-kick technique, which he taught to Ruyama and Azuma. And when Azuma fought Ruyama in the first world tournament, he out-low-kicked Ruyama, which was awesome. But talking to Yamazaki outside, he, I explained how I felt about not training, and he agreed with me. He was immaculately dressed, and he had a gorgeous wife who was an air hostess. But I learned more in five minutes from him speaking outside the dojo than I had for months in the dojo. <laughs> wow. He just gave me some pointers on low kick. And um, he was very, very sympathetic. So the heart was ripped out of me for a while, but I had to get back in. And training was also the other side of the coin. That was the savior. <clears throat> I don't you, think you've I've said, talked uh, about this in the open before. Oh, wow. No, we, I, I get snippets. I get snippets of bits because obviously I've been um, Shankari. We've been very close the last 20 years. So we have, you know, we have loads of conversations. We have snippets of bits and this. But still, like today now, even though we'd be talking and there'd be a new bit that would have come out that he hadn't really mentioned before. You'd go a little bit deeper. It's almost like, because I find Shangari is very guarded sometimes. He likes to keep his cards close to his chest and he's guarded with the information he gives out. And, and he'll give you a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. And then one day he's relaxed and you'll be like, oh, you never fucking said that. You told me you went there, but you never said you did that and that and that. So you, you tend to get uh, how relaxed he is. He'll relieve a little bit more to you. So you've you got yeah, your heart back? There were, there were like part, parts. I'm part of a missing jigsaw of the history of Kyokushin, I think. Yes. Um, when... Matsui was brought over in, when was it, Terry, 97? 97, June 97. In 97, I was responsible for him in Britain. And uh. They stayed in Wales and we had a big course. And in the evening at the Japanese restaurant, we were just telling some stories because... Matsui came well after me, 10 years in fact, after me. He turned to me and in front of everybody that was there and paid me a lovely compliment, which was, I was in Hombu at the hardest time of Kyokushin's history. Oh, wow. To me, it was normal. I didn't know any other way. Mm -hmm. Right. And um, 
that's what I I tried to to pass on to my students over the years. And we do as then, do you remember? I've told Terry this. I wonder if he remembers what was written over the the entrance to the dojo. Over the train dojo. hard, train hard, fight easy. Train hard, fight easy. And that that sums it all up. <laughs> yeah, I I feel you know Shine Gary then was just talking about he knew no different. That's how the training was right. in Humble, and he brought that back here. So you know we trained. I, Gary was always an influence there because even when before I went training with him direct, I was training in Pont, and the guy in Pont used to train under Gary, and Gary would oversee gradings and stuff. Right. So I'd seen him. You know this that he was a fourth down then, the fourth down with the white hair, because I've never known him to have dark hair. He's only ever had white hair. So he was like, oh, Sensei Gary, that's the, you know, the, the fourth down with the white hair. Um, so I knew of him. And then the cl- I had left Pont and Frith. There was I had a falling out there. I'd left there. So I was, at, you know, 18. What, you had a falling 19. out? I know. It's very hard, very hard to uh, fathom. But yeah. yeah. yeah but happen. we've said this before. The instructor was a knob. Yeah. Um, so we'd moved from there and I was training, believe it or not, in a, in a BKK club. I was training there for about six months and I was in Cardiff one day and bumped into Gary um, and he was there with his wife, Saran. And we would, you know, just had a little towel. It's like, oh, oh, so, so, so. And he was like, oh, well, we're training in Cardiff, blah, 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 blah. You should come down and train with us, whatever. Gave me, no, he didn't give me his number. Um, but we had that little brief catch up so i was back on his radar and i knew of him um and then you know we left uh, but a week later the club that i was training in shut down suddenly um it was die davis it was so anyone in the bkk listening he had gone to, he had landed a place to go and do like a master's degree in building or something mm-hmm. so he, he'd shut the club he's like i can't teach it anymore so that shut and i thought oh gary i wonder how can i get hold of him now so I went into Cardiff and there was a martial arts shop in Cardiff called Cardiff Martial Arts. And, I, and that's where we had just met. And I went to the shop. And I said, you remember the, the guy, Gary Bufton, that was in there? Of course, everyone knows him then. So I got his phone number from them. And then I rang, rang the house number, Saran answered. Then I spoke to Saran and he told me where he was training, what was going on, what was happening. And she said, go down. He'd love to see you. Um, and then I just rocked up, turned up. Then we were training in the um, uh, Cardiff Boys Youth Club then, central in Cardiff, in the yes. judo place. So I was, this was 2000, and, early 2001, around about July, August 2001, I think this was. What was the training um, like then? Well, we went. It was a ju- it was a judo hall, so it was all matted out. Yeah. But it, you know, you know the picture I've got of Sorsai, the big picture in the wooden frame and everything. That that's the one that Gary had from Japan. That was up oh, on the wall. Okay. Um, and it, you know, it, it was a proper, it's a proper sweat fest training. You know, we'd get in there. You had people there like Steve Crane. Steve Crane was a bit of a fighting legend in Britain. He was just a hard bastard. Um. And all those guys there, and I was this, what was I was a brown belt. Um, but, I, you know, I was young. I was 20, 21. 
So we started training there, and 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 it, it was kind of, you know, what Shian earlier, uh, Shian said earlier about putting your hand into a well-worn glove. Yeah, it just was. So I'd gone in there, clicked straight away. Shian Gary could see something about me as well, and then, and then, you know, I kind of latched onto him, and we went from there, and and it was like. Yeah, it just, it just fitted. Shion Gary, what kind of student yeah. was Terry? <laughs> Sorry? What kind of student was Terry? Was he a pain? Hungry. <laughs> Hungry. Well, he is fat. He was... <laughs> I don't want to embarrass Terry. You but don't, I think please, I please. Him, I've told him before. <laughs> Once, once I could get my fingers on him and sort him out, he became one of the, the technically the best students that I've ever seen. Wow. I've seen Matsui, and Matsui is awesome. His left leg, Moashigeri, is perfect for mm-hmm. his right leg. And Terry has that same ability. Wow. Terry had all the weapons. I only had a low kick, a back kick, and a bit of a punch. I could, and I could sweep people. Mm. Terry had the full arsenal. If his knife didn't work, his pistol worked. If his pistol <laughs> didn't work, his M16 would work. <laughs> wow. And he High had compliments. grenades and bombs and smoke. Smoke stuff to go with it. <laughs> he was, he was a joy to teach, because he was always hungry to learn more, and it, it, he never knew his boundaries. He would push the boundaries, and he was young. <laughs> right, of course. And well, you're still the same way that's, today. That's one of the Sorry. great things. Terry's still hungry today. It's awesome. He's always looking that, for new knowledge. But that's what that's one of the things he's instilled in me, though. You know, right. I, I and I and I've always said, I wish I'd come to you sooner. And Gary's always said to me, he said, when the student is ready, he'll find the instructor. Mm-hmm. So I, I think I'd already been training 10 years. I had a, a good, you know, base in me, been training since I was 10. And I was, I think. Much emotionally mature enough to ready to start the training with Gary, and not just training in karate, because this right. man was not just an instructor; he was my mentor in life. Right. So we would go through all sorts of things, and it, you know, it would all relate to karate. Um, but we start. Do you know what the thing? Some of the things I loved about Shangari is there was no messing about. Right. You know when people say like. Oh, you should do such and such. And yeah, you'd be good at that, but it never happens. Right. So within about two months of training uh, with Gary, he was like, you should enter the, um, you should enter the British. And I'm like, I haven't fought anywhere probably for a while now. Um, you know, I've kind of been in limbo for the last six months. And he was like, yeah, you should fight in the British. I think that was the 
2001 then it was. So I'd only been at the dojo for two months and he was working with me in Toronto and he put me into the British and then I won it. <laughs> um, and, and we would have special special training sessions. We would just work on certain things. You know, he talked about the other class with Sorcerer where they'd only do Kaiten Niwaza and yeah. Ura spinning. We'd, we'd have lessons like that. All you do was spin up and down Kaiten Niwaza right. for two hours. All you do up and down. Right. Sometimes we do a session where you just do Chudanoiski. We just do that for two hours. He used to love to do this thing with counting, everybody counting down the line. And you'd be stood there in your sanchine or whatever stance you're in, sweat, you know, you'd have a pool of sweat around you. And every time someone messed up the count, you'd start again. Mm-hmm. So you'd be there for two hours doing it. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> it was, and it was just sim- simple things, simple training. Right. It builds discipline. Grit. Terry's become part of my karate family. I have another son like Terry in Sweden. Yeah. And that's we'll, Robert. We'll talk about this. Robert's like Robert my Pickland. old brother. Yeah. So, so Robert came to Britain when he was younger. I think, was he in his 20s, Shian? Sorry? Was Robert in his 20s when he came to Britain? He was 18. Oh, yeah, 18, he, younger. Young man. He, he read about me in a magazine in Sweden and came over. Actually, he, wow. he read about me with, with Howard Collins. So initially, he came over for Howard Collins, but Howard had gone to Sweden. <laughs> <laughs> and so he, Robert was stuck with me. And <laughs> one day there was a knock on the door. I opened the door to the dojo. Hello, my name is Robert. Teach me karate. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, he ended up being an Uchideshi for five years. Wow. But he he was he was a, he was smart about it. He wasn't just come to get away from his father. He was getting away from conscription in Sweden. (laughs) He didn't want to be conscripted into the army. Right. (laughs) And he chose my dojo, which was probably much harder and longer. That's what I was just thinking. (laughs) Yeah, he probably would have been easier in the military. (laughs) (laughs) So... I'm still in touch with Robert, and I hope to see him again this year. Yeah. Because he's so gone Rob, I, I, a lot. Robert's like my big brother, like my boot. So Gary's my Budo father. You know, mm. my, my dad died when I was nine. Mm. So I've never had a male role figure in my life, really. Right. Um, my first instructor in Pont, that, that didn't work because he didn't know how to handle me. I need no. Um, and then, obviously, when I with Gary, and it just... It, it meshed it like, and then he became that father figure in my life, mm-hmm. you know, all through my, my formative years through my twenties, which was a good time. So I'd already, you know, I was already, you know, a young adult made my own, you know, looking, look, looking for someone to show me now. Mm-hmm. And then that, that was with Gary. Um, Shihan, on, uh, uh, did uh, you ever cross or do you ever train or cross paths with Shihan Cameron Quinn? 
I was just about to say that I left. I, I wanted to stay in Japan for three years. That was my intention. But I had to come back in December 75. Mm-hmm. In January 76, Cameron turned up right. in so Hongu missed. for a class because he was living in the south of Japan. Right. And I met Cameron three years ago, Terry. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So, when I when I brought him over to the UK. Oh, right, 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 right. So that that was interesting to put together that. And then in the same year I met Judge Reed. Ah, who right. came over. And so it it was interesting talking to these guys because I, I'd gone before them. Yeah, it's pretty amazing, actually. It's like different timestamps. It's incredible. Yeah. And incredible. As, far as, I know, as far as I know, there was no other Britons went to Hombu like I did. People went for a month, like Jeff Wybra went. Right. And there were one or two other guys. So there was Steve O'Neill. Mm-hmm was living there. Then I think it was Howard and Brian Fitkin. And after that, it was me. Mm-hmm. And there, there was nothing else. Hmm. Yeah, there was no one else it's, afterwards, it's, really. It's a shame in a way. Hmm. I think that fact that, that Gary had gone out, because there was always... There was always an aura about, you know, Gary Bufton's name. Certainly, as I as I was coming up, it was like that was that guy who had gone to Japan. Right. He trained with the guy in the book, not that old guy in the book, the Mister Miyagi looking guy. He had gone out there and trained with him, under him. Right. And I think as as I've not at the time didn't appreciate it, but more now as I've grown up, I'm very very proud and appreciative of that lineage of karate. And I talk about it sometimes. I'm like, my my karate comes from him. His karate came from Sorsai. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. So we like to, it's a nice pure lineage. There's not too many. It didn't get filtered down through 10 different guys. And what we're doing now is dog shit. There's nothing like the original. Right. Little bits like we would never spar with pads on in the dojo. We wouldn't let us put pads on. It was like, you don't need pads on put pads on in the run-up to a tournament. Right. But other than that, all the time we sparred, we never wore pads. Yeah. It's very different today. You remember some of the, uh, some of the special training exercises you used to put me through? Remind me. He, he used to think of the most craziest shit and go, we get Terry to do that. <laughs> so, and one one of the fantastic things with Gary, like he was a professional teacher, right? So he broke things down, right? And you learned them. Like one day he was like, "Right, you need to be able to do a backward somersault." And I'm like, well, "What's that got to do with anything? <laughs> you need to be able to do a backward somersault because that's in in Oyama's book, What Is Karate, or one of the books, <laughs> doing a backward somersault." So we started working on that. Um, and the pro- I, the process was amazing because we this is not in the dojo mind this is out on the grass in his front garden of his house right so 
he'd be like, right, we'd start off doing the bits and then he'd just be there with his hand. He'd put his hand out in the small of my back. Right. And then I would go just so he had that support Fulcrum. there for me. Yeah. Yeah. And then he'd take me over and then I'd get, you know, get better to it. And then I'd get better and then I could do it on my own. And then we'd be food that in the dojo and he'd be like, Terry, do the somersault, land. Yeah. Awesome. Well done. Wow. <laughs> And then we trained in a, in a, we moved from the Central Boys Club and we were in the church hall in Ravensbrook where, where Gary lived and they had a stage in there. So the stage was sort of just above your waist. And we used to trick, we used to practice box jumping up onto the stage. So we developing powerful, you know, legs just to jump in. Biometrics. So one day, yeah. So one day he says, you, you should do your back somersault off the stage and you're like what he's like yeah yeah he just had blind confidence yeah you, yeah you do it fine get up there so and of course i'm like this 21 year old oh sensei us, us, i'll do it so he, he remember he had um you had crany and awful there and they took their belts off and looped their belts through my belts so they were kind of like hold well I understand. the visual the visual was that they are holding me but they wasn't because they were stood on the floor so i would have hit the floor <laughs> but smashed they... my head in well before <laughs> the belts ever come into play so that in my mind though i was like oh yeah i'd be all right yeah, they got me. i'm being held yeah they got me good so um there was no fear of of smashing your head into the floor so i done it i did the backward somersault off the stage and then we did that a couple of times then. And it was like, well, fucking hell, wow. I'm now well, doing a backward do. somersault off the stage. <laughs> yeah, it, it was great. Just the process of learning with him. Um, and this, we talked about Robert came over as an Ushideshi. And of course, when I started training to 2000, 2001, he was like, you should go to Sweden as an Ushideshi. Uh, so when I was younger, I wanted to go to Japan as an Ushideshi. When I was like a kid, I was only... 12 30 and i was like that's what i want to do but source i died then and every so that was kind of a pipe dream and he was like you should go to sweden and, and you're like yeah 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 that'd be good yeah okay yeah whatever and expecting it never to happen but then like you know within a, a few weeks he was like yeah i've spoken to robert you, you can go out to sweden mm -hmm. and i'm like Oh, oh, so this is actually fucking happening. <laughs> this is going to happen then. You know, I'm, I'm 21 at the time. I'd never been abroad. I'd never been on an aeroplane at that point. Mm. And he's like, yeah, you'll go out to Sweden. So he was like, well, well, this is happening. This is actually happening. So I got some sponsorships and went around, did some things, booked a flight. Um, and we were like, and that's it. Terry's off. Jumped on this plane. Oh, flew into Vestros in Sweden and I'm like, well, I've never been abroad before. So I had my little notes of where I had to go and stuff and then turned up at, at the Robert's dojo. He had it made like a Hombu dojo. So you had an Ushideshi sleeping area and stuff in there. And that was that. I was there doing it. I was out there for like five weeks. It's awesome. It, it, was, it, it was, it was a lovely, um, just he, he would see things he would want you to do and he would say, um, right, yeah, you should do this. And you were like, yeah, yeah, whatever. He's like, no, this is what we're going to do. We'll plan it, do it, get it done. And then before you knew it, you were doing it. Mm -hmm. It was amazing. Yeah, so I've, 
I've uh, trained quite a few fighters, but Robert and Terry, they're special to me. His kids. <laughs> it is very Thank weird because like Robert's like Robert's like my big brother. It is weird. We don't. We don't. Me and Robert don't speak much now. But that relationship of just there, of our connection is through Gary. So mm-hmm. he's like a big brother to me, really. Yeah. Uh, and then he went and abandoned me then in 2006. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> when he moved, uh, emigrated to France. Oh, right, right, right. I so that. I think I, I, we'd been out to Japan. I'd won the British a couple of times. We'd fought in Japan. And I'd come back. I'd just started my own business as well then um and it was like uh, he decided he's gonna fuck off to france and i'm like well i need you you can't go to france i need you now i'm like 25 yeah i was 25 and i'm like you know we're gearing up for stuff but the ronin was um, born that is when all the ronin stuff was born <laughs> Awesome. Fellas, I had mm-hmm. I had to make a decision for the family. I've got three boys, right, and had to look after my mother-in-law, my father-in-law, mm-hmm. who were both ill, and they like France. So I, I made an executive decision to move to France. With two cats, two dogs, <laughs> three kids, mother-in-law, father-in-law. It, it still worked fine because I used to, I used to go out to France then. So that so although he was in France, we were still on the phone, we were messaging, we were talking. He'd yeah. say, "What have you done this?" And then just that, Connection. just that fatherly hand on the shoulder of yeah. like I'd ring him and say, "Like oh oh, I've I've been arrested for beating <laughs> someone up." Um, this is happening, that's happening. And he'd be like, oh, well, we make a call now. We've got a friend of a barrister of the family and we'll do this and that. So he was, even though he was in France, it was still always there, that sort of overlooking and just that feeling was there then. Thank God somebody was. <laughs> <laughs> Gentlemen. Okay, Shan. I need to wrap up. I got to get to work, actually. Uh, the time here is that we had to figure this out. So it's early, it's morning here for me. And uh, I need to jump yeah. into actually my work. But I yeah. want to do this, continue this on, though, because we've already been in like an hour and a half or so. But I'd love to do another session. I want, there's more. We'll I want another, to hear more of the stories. <laughs> we should do a second part on yeah. your your um, your training and how you view training and how you'd have because the shit he's had me doing over the years. Yeah, yeah, um, for sure. Just how, how you put it into place. Yeah. Um, I'm off to France on the 8th of next month, so I don't know whether we can squash something in or maybe pick, pick something up. This is the, f- the first time I've done anything like this. I hope you enjoyed it because we certainly did. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, thanks for being patient with me. It's not necessary. It's a a difficult time. It is when when you start talking to him about karate because like Gary, Gary's had some health issues the last mm-hmm. few years and stuff. Um, but when you start talking about karate 
and he starts reliving things. You see a firing and you I see know, his eyes yeah. start firing and you see the synapses on. He's like remembering it and he gets more, a bit more into it, more lively, more animated. animated. So it's, yeah. lo- it's lovely to see. Yeah. Yeah. It's such an honor. Thank you, Shihan. I think there are, there are parts that I can still put together. So, yes, I would like to do this again. Awesome. But I. I'm not going to divulge anything that's classified. Terry <laughs> oh, will know why. Uh, well, I will, I will be bringing this up. There's no, there's I, no nothing squad after you. <laughs> <laughs> right. Jan, right. I'll speak to you later on. Do you think, Terry? Senpai, Senpai Scott Heaney. You, thanks, any, any thanks for having me. It's been an honor, Usher. sir. Us. Terry. Us. Let's wrap it up then, guys. Cut. Us. Us.